I think most of my artwork is an amalgam of of what I witness in the world and and what I try to give back. Like if I see a world that is festering with hypocrisy and ignorance and apathy, I'm trying to show a vision that thwarts that that mm-hmm. that can be its uh, corollary. Whereas, you know, some people take that and try to reproduce that negativity. You know, and uh, you know, I don't want to just, you know, transcribe you know mm-hmm. that energy onto that i want to give an answer this is the 40 lessons podcast my name is todd b waldo thank you so much for checking out another episode of 40 lessons We are continuing with our brand new season. This is episode 45, and it is a pleasure to welcome through the microphone to the podcast, my man, S. Ross Brown, artist right here in Richmond, Virginia. Get a chance to go over to his studio and sit down with him. Beautiful, beautiful space. It's the best looking space we've had for, for the podcast so far. Um, we got a chance to talk about his life and his work, uh, the things that he has done both in this country and across the world, um, exhibitions featuring him, just over 20-some years of work, over 70 different galleries. Um, and he does this really great, amazing work with people, helping them through art therapy, helping them to deal with some of the most horrible, traumatic, difficult experiences in their life. And so I'm excited to bring this conversation to you. When we're done, keep listening because I got to tell you about the Black History Museum here in Richmond and their brand new exhibition. So I want to tell you about that after this conversation with S. Ross Brown here on the 40 Lessons Podcast. I am hanging out in this really dope space over here, Whole Street, my man S. Ross Brown. What's up, brother? Hello. How are you? (laughs) Um, do you, I, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember how I met you? It's been a while. Um, I, for, I forgot about it until I was driving over here and I remember how I met you. Refresh my memory. So I, I sent you a cold email. I saw an article about your work. Hmm. Style Weekly, something. I don't even know. Free Press, it was one of them. Talking about your work. I was like, that's dope. I got to know this cat and who he is and what he does. Um, I had just gotten art money which is different money that you can actually buy art and mm-hmm. invest in artists. And uh, yeah, so I sent you this random, hey, sir, um, <laughs> I would like to buy some art. Um, and you're like, cool, come on through. And, uh, and that's how we met. Ah, I, I, see, that would be hard for me to remember because people send me emails that first I have to parse to see if it's a scam or not because for some reason artists get these really dumb scam emails (laughs) that if you fall for it you're just dumb you know and some of them are real good and you're like "Mm, still Um, and then you get people who say they're interested in some work and Mm -hmm. want a price list and you send them a price list and you never hear from them again Mm -hmm. And then you get people like yourself who actually follow through. So, That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I have, uh, I have two of your pieces in my home, which is, which is great to say. Oh, Ruby. Yeah. I didn't even know that. That's right. <laughs> See, we're learning things about each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I am, every time I talk to you, 
So this is what happened, right? So now I see you all the time. Right. My guess is we were always in the same rooms. Right. But now I see you all the time. Yeah, we weren't really yakking. And I think I saw you, you know, in, you know at the Robinson Theater or mm-hmm. something. And then, you know, some other things were always connected. Yeah. And then I've known you in a way that I was like, oh, I must have always known him. <laughs> <laughs> what I appreciate about you when we get a chance to kind of get off to the side and we're not in a board meeting, we're not working, it's not a community event when you and I are just, mm-hmm. just chopping it up. I learn something new about you every single time. You're, <laughs> you, you are an amazing storyteller and you've got some because you didn't live a couple, I think you lived a couple lives and, and you remember a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you are a graduate of VCU. No, not You're a not? graduate. You didn't finish? I've never finished. That's in your bio. No, it's not in my bio. What, did you attend it? I attended. Ah, that's the key word. Yeah, I attended. You attended. Did you, did you just like, all right, I'm out or what? No, I went, uh, I, I intended to finish, yes. but um, I went through some things uh, fiscally back that time and then uh, emotionally because my brother had committed suicide mm. in my house and that, you know. I changed it. Yeah. And... And then I had to make some money. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to open up a studio because I'm an artist, you know. I also waited tables as well. And I opened up a studio at Arts on the Square at 6th Street Marketplace. And my studio partner was, uh, at different times, Lynn Wilder. Then um, I... uh, um, who also was Annabelle, um, uh, what the hell is her last name? Uh, her father, they're from Jamaica, and her mm-hmm. father used to have a Jamaican joint called Jerk Pit. Yeah. And, um, and then I just kept working on that, and yeah. it just kept, uh, you know, being put off. Was, this, was the artist in you there from... As long as you can remember. Yeah, from the get-go. I yeah. remember when I was like maybe three years old and I used to use crayon to draw on that plastic pea cover that you have on your mattress. <laughs> and I would recreate Peter Max posters and redraw stuff like Paddington Bear and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Was your What cultivated that for you? Like, was this just natural to you? Were you in an arts program or was that it just, was there art in your home or you just discovered this within yourself? Um, within myself, it's interesting because uh, not until I ended up with my um, um, uh, other family after another tragedy uh, in uh, Richmond, you know, I was always drawing, but I was also considered, you know, elevated intellectually mm-hmm. um uh, schools would always be testing me and a couple other smart kids in the class and just all day testing and stuff um and i could always draw and i draw drew well and mm-hmm. and and but i was i think i could read uh you know by four or five yeah. and I was never good at math, but I was always good at other things. I remember when I realized I was good with my hands when we had an assignment and Mrs. 
Ann Burgess class in Mount Vernon, New York. This must have been 1974 okay. or five kindergarten. And the assignment was just to cut a piece of uh, styrofoam to the shape of your hand. You draw mm -hmm. it. Trace it. Trace it. Yep. Trace your hand, cut it, some glue, mm -hmm. and some glitter. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you got a hand. That's a hand, right. Mine was green. <laughs> Looked like my hand. Everybody else's fingers missing. They couldn't handle yeah. the scissors. They're kindergartners. Right. And they look at my hand and they were, eh, mine doesn't, you know, and I'm like, damn, I'm sorry. Hand, you, know, yeah. you know, what's so hard about this? <laughs> and so I would, you know, I would do a lot of sketching and drawing and, and then we moved to California and I was in some gifted school mm -hmm. uh, and I knew stuff, just didn't know math, yeah. but I knew stuff. Like I remember one time we were at the San Diego Zoo and they got all the kids to, you know, close their eyes and touch an animal and tell them, mm -hmm. tell people what it was. And so everybody were like, you know, touch it and, and snake. And like, no, touch it, turtle. No, and I would be like, armadillo. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, how the hell does this kid know that? Why are there armadillos <laughs> at the San Diego Zoo? I don't know. <laughs> you know. It was armadillo. You curated that. Yeah, but they did not, you know, they don't, I guess they didn't know also that armadillos uh, carry leprosy as well. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> you are also the owner of Random Facts. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> You know, I kill it on Jeopardy every time. Yeah. And um, and so, and then I ended up in, um, in Richmond after my mother died mm -hmm. and, and was nurtured by my new mother, my Aunt Carol, mm -hmm. always framing my stuff, always giving me art supplies, always yeah. framing it at like a really expensive frame shops, always had art books, and that really nurtured me. And then uh, my sixth, seventh, and eighth grade teacher, who we all know, uh, uh, Dennis Winston, mm. uh, really helped as well. Yeah. Do you get to carry some of that with you as you work today? Like, do you, like when you think about you know, your connection to this community, um, like this is a model, like this is what art as mm -hmm. a career in life looks like mm -hmm. in this space. <laughs> um, but when you think about our students, like our RPS students you know, in particular, and the importance of the art programs that are there. How do you take that experience as a student and all that did for you, now you get to be this living, working artist. Do you get to pour that into students at all? Yeah, I do. I, you know, I think about how when I went to military school, I didn't have uh, an art program at all and just made it happen. There was no art program, uh, and I just kept drawing, mm -hmm. you know, anyway, nobody had to tell me to do it. And then um, the dean of the school was like, oh, this guy, you know, it'll be, obviously he, it was like, it'd be a travesty of justice yeah. if we don't have some art program mm -hmm. for this person. And I try to instill in them how important it is to make your own opportunities and yeah. make your way even if, if the school isn't putting a lot into art, then you keep doing it anyway and they'll notice. And so I, I, tell, I try to tell them that, I, I, last time I did a, a grant 
it was more therapeutic art mm-hmm. for uh, uh, I think it was um, Anna Julia Cooper School, mm-hmm. and I just try to let them know that they are meshed in art right now, mm-hmm. no matter what they think. Just to be in a civil society, just to be a human being on the planet, it's it's since the caveman put his hand on a cave and sprayed, you know clay fabric uh, clay dust around it Mm -hmm. to sign his name we're a part of it in our clothing we wear and Mm -hmm. the music we listen to and the way food is prepared and uh, the chairs that we were sitting on in the classroom that were designed by probably Theo Van Duesberg and the Bauhaus movement back in the 30s you know all these things were uh, art inspired Mm -hmm. our life is designed and the world uh in greater order is part of intelligent design yeah. you know kind of a proof of god so i i bring that in there your your aunt <clears throat> excuse me had a very particular um influence on you mm-hmm. um and i mean just invested in you in a very particular way um for your broader family um some very hard things have happened mm-hmm. um when you were so life starts for you in new york yeah is that right yeah. Mount, in Mount Vernon? Mount Vernon, New York. Okay. Life started in 1969. And both of your parents are there? Uh, no, I never knew who my father was hmm. uh, until I was around 25 when I met him. Okay. Um, they never talked about him. They never, you know. Yeah. I, was, I was just raised by my grandfather and my uncles and my my uncle and great uncles and, you know, and my aunts and my mom, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, who was in and out the hospital, so I was always, you know, with, you know, aunts and great aunts and uncles and such. Yeah. Were you um, these men that were in your life? Mm-hmm. Um, like these are your first versions of what manhood right. looks like. Right. Um, and you were fortunate, you know. There are many of us who don't have a dad there. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's our moms trying their best, and our aunties, and sometimes right. Right. an uncle there. But you had these other men, right, kind of teaching and um, and kind of guiding you. Mm-hmm. Um, did that continue once you left Mount Vernon? Yeah. Did you still have influences like that? Yeah. You know, my mom remarried and uh, my, uh, I got like three dads, you know, mm-hmm. Roger, my stepfather, who was always in the family mm-hmm. when, way before I was born. So it wasn't like, you know. Yeah. He, was, he wasn't a stranger. No, he was one of my first memories. And this is one of the weird things about me is that. I remember way far back. <laughs> and one of my first memories being in a bassinet on the porch in Mount Vernon. And I look up and I remember his face. Yeah. Uh, and he was my uncle's childhood friend, you know, mm-hmm. five, six, seven, eight years old, something like that. Yeah. But uh, and so he was there. Mm-hmm. And then after my mother died, uh, her brother was there. Mm-hmm. And her other brother was there as well. Uh, both uh, surgeons, and then uh, I came into a family of all these other brothers, big brothers, like yeah. you know my big brother, you know Kent and and uh, Kyle and Kurt and Carl and my younger brother Kern. All of them, you know, were there. So it was like you know a lot of male influence, mm-hmm. and then um, also you know great uncles, my grandfather's people. I think. When I was in Mount Vernon, I was really growing up in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. I mean, everything was the same. The, the way mm. they, the way they 
went about their lives, the decor, you mm-hmm. know, it was really weird. Did that give you a particular view into not just family, but into into a black family, into blackness? And you got professional, you got professional black people mm-hmm. around you. You got yeah. working black people around you. Like you're yeah, well, you're coming up with a particular view of what yeah. what, our, what blackness is. In, in my early years, it was early black family. You know, mm-hmm. my uh, my um, grandfather could have went to. He was slated to go to school, uh, to college, like engineering or something. He was slated for great things, but then he, his, you know, his wife got pregnant and he had to work, you mm-hmm. know, and this was way back in the day. So he became an oil truck driver, but he was uh, in the Masonic Lodge. He was running numbers sometimes for the mob. He was doing what he had to do, mm-hmm. you know, but he was, a, you know, everybody knew him. Everybody yeah. respected him, you know, Smitty. And so... You could see that, and then my mom was, you know, you know, in a product of the '60s and mm-hmm. stuff, and and so they, you know, they had, you know, Reverend Dixon on the wall, mm. you know, they had Kennedy on the wall, mm-hmm. you know. Was it a plate? Uh huh. Yeah, 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 plate. Yeah, the plate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I saw we had a Dr. King plate, mm-hmm. we had a John F. Kennedy plate, and then people were making Obama plates. Oh yeah, was I, I just I saw one at mm-hmm. someone's house. I was it was just cool to kind of see that connection back to how we current came up and we would kind of honor these mm-hmm. men. I don't. Mm-hmm. I never saw a woman on a plate. I don't know if that ever happened. Yeah, I don't think I, I ever saw the woman. We Reverend Dixon was our you know Reverend for Macedonia Baptist Church up there. There were two Baptist churches mm-hmm. up there that were of note: were Grace Baptist and Macedonia Baptist. And so. Um, Reverend Dixon was up there, yeah, and and Kennedy. I don't know if White Jesus was up there or not, but I know. Yeah, White Jesus sometimes gets on plates. Yeah, sometimes. Or or like is in a frame. Somewhere. Yeah, he was in a. If, if it was, it was in a frame. It was in a frame. That's right. And Dixon was in a frame, and um, and my aunts were there. You know, they yeah. you know they got old and they, they you know nobody went to no home, but they came and. Mm. And lived with my grandfather. You know, he had like a side by side duplex, mm-hmm. and so his two younger sisters were to the left of him, and he was there. And they had like I don't know, eleven, twelve siblings or more, and his wife had the same amount or more, fifteen or something. Mm-hmm. And so um, I never met my grandmother, although you know all accounts and even home videos show that she was just a magnificent woman. Yeah. But I did meet her sister, who was. Uh, wonderful Anovella. She used to teach me to sing opera and whatnot. But uh, it was, um, um, and I digress. So, what was the question again? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm wondering how. So this this experience coming up, mm-hmm. it shapes your view of family. It shapes your view. Oh yeah, of, yeah. That of was blackness. Right. And, that was that was the quintessential working class blackness at that time. Yeah. You know, he would come home. He had his chair. You know, nobody could sit in the chair. Mm. He smelled like oil. He smoked a pipe, you know, yeah. and he smoked a cigar. And then he smoked a cigar down to a nub and put it in the pipe, you know. <laughs> and he would sit down and and he also he drank, you know. He you know he he looked missed his wife and so for breakfast he would have vo, you mm-hmm. know. And so but he was he was always still cool. He would take me around. He would introduce me to everybody. Mm-hmm. Even when he was going to different bars, he would introduce me to to all the people. And I'd sit up there. It was the first time I had a soft drink. You know, they mm-hmm. were like, pick a drink. I'm sitting at the bar. And I was, they was like, how about Coke or ginger ale? And I was like, 
Ginger ale sounds more elaborate. I'll try. <laughs> I'll try ginger that. ale. Ginger ale. Yeah. It was delicious, and it became one of my favorites. <laughs> and then we went to another place and said, "How about some ice cream?" Mm-hmm. And they said, "Strawberry, chocolate, or vanilla." And I'm like, "Wow, uh, vanilla," mm-hmm. and that became my favorite. Yeah. And so uh, that was cool. And then I had a different experience in California, you know, with that kind of environment near the mm-hmm. beach and the Navy and all that stuff, going to different naval bases, and then. <clears throat> And then coming to uh, Richmond, where I was all automatically inserted into, I guess, the black bourgeoisie, where yeah. you know everybody went to grad school and were doctors and lawyers and dentists and whatnot. What was the so the move from New York to Cali to here? What- it was actually New York to Florida. Okay, which was interesting too. I remember when I was with my babysitter when Elvis died and she was all crying and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, really? Why? You know? And then. <laughs> And there's lots of gardens and really interesting and stuff. But, uh, yeah, New York, Florida, California, here. So why from Cali to here? Why was this the destination? Because there was no one else. My stepfather was just being shipped out. And mm. we were, me and my mom, mom knew she was going to die, but mm-hmm. she didn't know when. And she was very brave about it. And obviously I'm supposed to be here because she could have died in the drive over there because she was driving. <clears throat> Wow. On the highway. She could have dry, died on the gangplank yeah. walking to this, uh, the, he was a naval officer, mm-hmm. walking to the um, destroyer. But as soon as we crossed the gangplank, she just took her last breath and died while mm-hmm. I was holding her hand. And uh, I didn't have anybody, you know, he was, he had to, he had to, you know, be shipped out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure he could have canceled it, but I don't know how hard it was to do so. Yeah. And, you know, and we were a new family, you know, mm-hmm. and, he felt that I would probably get the best upbringing if I, uh, and he stayed in touch and mm-hmm. and stuff. If I went, and I don't know if they pressured him or what. I don't know. Yeah. You know, to uh, go uh, live with her brother, who you know had some money mm-hmm. and had a lot of sons, mm-hmm. and had a big house, and yeah. you know, it was like going over there. And I was always already close to them anyway. Okay. And how old were you? When you got here? I think uh, seven or eight. So it's still young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, your life now takes you around the world. Like you, you've seen so much mm-hmm. through this lens of an artist that you mm-hmm. get to translate into the things that you make on these pieces that are surrounding mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you discover that this could be a tool for people to heal and to work through some of the most horrible things that have happened in our life uh when the united way called me i don't even know how that happened well i think it might have been esther hyatt i'm not sure but um they asked me to work with some kids whose parents were in the gulf war the Mm. first gulf war Mm -hmm. and we're not going to be home for christmas or ever Mm. and they wanted to make cards, have them make cards for them and have mm-hmm. them do things that could be cathartic in nature. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And so I did that, and that was on my resume. And then one day I was in my studio, you know, struggling, mm-hmm. uh, but happy and painting. Mm-hmm. And uh, Muzi comes in, and uh, Philip Branch uh P. Muzi Branch. His uh, brother is Plunky Branch of Plunky mm-hmm. and Oneness. And he had a position of uh, 
director of the arts and healthcare at MCV mm -hmm. and asked if I would come down and be the art specialist, which included providing art therapy. And in those days you didn't, you know, wouldn't like, you know, and he thought I had a great degree too, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just didn't make sense that I wouldn't. Yeah. And so he was like, you know, you know, could you pass a drug test? You know, cause I think he, you know, smelled weed smoke when he came in there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, so I did my research and, Passed. Him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, uh, you know, and that was interesting because I was trying to, you know, do research. And they said, you get this Gatorade bottle. It costs like 60 bucks for a bottle of almost Gatorade. It looked like Gatorade, 60 bucks. And I go into the store and, and I'm like, yeah. They said, it's behind the counter, but you can't ask for it directly. <laughs> they won't acknowledge it. So mm -hmm. you have to figure out a way to get them to open that counter mm -hmm. and get it to you. So I'm like, damn, you can't say detail. You can't. You can't say it's for such and such, and I don't know what I said to finally, because it took a little bit. But you got you, you found the secret word. Yeah, finally word, and he was like, "That is it." I felt I thought I was playing <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons or something. Tell me what he's what, Jim. You know, you know, open the thing up and they give it to me. I'm like sixty dollars for this. All right, and All right. so I drank it right before the test and passed. And I was working with um, after I got the job, I was working with uh, uh, with pediatric patients mm -hmm. and infectious disease patients and brain injury rehabilitation and inpatient psychiatry and uh, elder care and trauma patients. Yeah. And so, you know, I definitely used it and made up modalities to, um, to use it as a means of healing. family journey and your own just struggle and tragedy and all the heartbreak that you experienced at a young age and then through the remaining of your years how much yeah. do you bring into your work does that help with your own empathy and the, these rooms and spaces you create for people do you carry some of that with you I don't know um you know you would think you would and I, I'm sure I do uh but I don't think it really finds its way into my art so much mm -hmm. I think it more so it might find its way into my literature and my writing mm -hmm. <clears throat> and such because you know it's a lot of shit you know I yeah. recently lost my brother Kent you know which was well, probably one of the hardest things because he was like a second father you mm -hmm. know and one of the strongest cats I ever knew and also one of the most sensitive mm -hmm. you know really good representation of what it is to be a man yeah. you know and so i carry him with me mm -hmm. he's in my head if i want to you know if i have a question i can ask him yeah. um and my mom or both my moms mm -hmm. but i don't know um i think most of my artwork is an amalgam of of what i witness in the world and and what I try to give back, like if I see a world that is 
festering with hypocrisy and ignorance and apathy. I'm trying to show a vision that thwarts that, that, mm-hmm. that can be its uh, corollary. Whereas, you know, some people take that and try to reproduce that negativity, you know, and uh, you know, I don't want to just, you know, transcribe, mm-hmm. you know, that energy onto that. I want to give an answer, you know. The one thing that artists, I think, have always done for us um, they they pointed us to a different view of ourselves and given us a sense of <clears throat> just I think hope and aspiration like this is what it could look like, mm-hmm. um, which is I think is what you get to do for us. Like you, you're not transcribing. You're you're just trying to help point towards. Actually, it could be like this. Right. Life could be this. You can view people this way. You can appreciate people in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, is that in your writing too? Is your writing pulling from that same kind of motivation? It depends. My poetry and prose is generally pulling from that. Mm-hmm. And my fiction is somewhat, it's more so, um, uh, I guess, just stories I would like to mm-hmm. to see. You know, and I see when I write, I write as if it's a visual uh, panoply. You know, like it's a movie. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's in there, you know. But, you know, it just, you know, it's more so in my prose and in my poetry yeah. because a lot of it is free associative, you know, uh, thought that, you know, I put down in a way that sounds clever and uh, feels right. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I think you might have heard me do my poetry once, maybe mm-hmm. at, once, yeah. at the uh, at the uh, VCU theater when Sonia Sanchez was mm-hmm. here. But I started doing that stuff way back in the day with a group called the Southern Revolutionist Literary Guild that we made up. Hmm. You know DL, right? Yeah. And so he had this apartment way up in his loft, and you know me, him, and another group called the Jazz Poet Society got together and just started to, uh, oh, me, him, and Jerome got together and we just started to uh, uh, just, I don't know, it's like a men's poetry support group, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I w- actually, I was going to ask you about, you, you are, you seem to be, and I know you to be a person who, you are in touch with yourself. Yeah. Like, you know... You know you're feeling words, <laughs> mm-hmm. like you 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 you're a grown man who understands what it means to grieve and to be mm-hmm. sad, mm-hmm. and you give expression to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not afraid to cry, laugh, mm-hmm. curse it out, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it takes. You're right. You know how to do that, um, and you put it into practice. Right. <laughs> I'm going to ask you this. I don't know if you can even answer it. How did you learn how to do that? Because uh, so many of us don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Either because we don't choose to or because we never taught to? Um, probably from observation, you know. My mother taught me to express myself, to sing and stuff. Mm-hmm. My other mother taught me, you know, to just be straight up, you know, honest with yourself. I mean, she was somebody that you could talk, say anything to, talk to about anything. Mm-hmm. And she would sometimes embarrass you with her uh, uh, honesty, you know. And, you know, because I would, I would look at something like Malcolm in the Middle mm-hmm. 
And the mom would answer the door in her bra and be like, what? So what's the bra? And my mom used to walk around like that, too. And don't look at my breasts. Look at me. I'm talking to you. I'm like, you're walking around. <laughs> you know. And But also, a lot of it was like my brother, yeah. Kent, mostly. I mean, Kent was hardcore. I mean, he... You know, you did not want to fight him. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you know, he had a little temper, but he was, he, he, you know, he'd never put his hands on, you know, his younger brothers and stuff. Mm-hmm. But he was very smart, very he, he was very honest, no guile whatsoever. But he would cry at a drop of a dime, mm-hmm. you know, and get it out and be like, okay, let's get a beer, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he would, you know, when we grieve, he'd sometimes think about our brother Carl we lost, and he would just boo-hoo hard and get it out and. You know, and he we would be out, and and he would, you know, because he sees me as this little kid mm-hmm. still, you know, uh, you know. And but you know, now we're grown, mm-hmm. and we'll go out and stuff, and and he'll always put his arm around me and say, "Have I told you I loved you today?" Mm. And I was like, "No." And he said, "Well, I love you," and he would give me a kiss, and I'm like, "Stop that! They don't know we're brothers." <laughs> That's good. That's good love. You know, That's good yeah. brother love. Yeah, it was like you know, he was like, "Fuck them," you know. <laughs> you know? And so, and that's the way he was. And yeah. he wouldn't he would do anything if I come over and he was cooking something just for himself? He was split it in half, and you know he was an excellent chef. So you know, you staying for dinner? Hell yeah! <laughs> but um, I think it was a lot of different people yeah. in the family. My brother Kurt is also very expressive. Uh, everybody, my whole family, did not hold back in expressing. It's probably except you know, Dad does now more so. But mm-hmm. back in the day, you know, yeah. old school. But it probably, you know, just people I came in contact with, you know, during the summers, I would spend most of my summers in New York, mm-hmm. and I would spend them with uh, Boogaloo and his family. These are the Johnsons, uh, all these boys whose father was this country dude who mm-hmm. came down. I mean, they'd be like, yo, better not be no squirrels or pigeons around our house because <laughs> he will eat them. Yeah. And so... They were straight up hardcore New York cats, but they were just so expressive and funny and just looked after me. Like, you know, they're like, oh, this is the one that made it, so nobody messes with them. Hmm. And so that was an interesting experience. You know, I was doing stuff I would never let my nephew do, like riding the subways by myself in the 80s at 12 and 13, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It was a different New York then. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I remember getting off at uh, Port Authority in maybe 85, and instantly cats are costing you, hey, you want to buy this? Hey, you want to yeah, get that? Hey, yeah. you know? I'm like, damn, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it was pretty interesting. It was very gritty. I was looking at the deuce on HBO, and I'm like, I remember yeah, that. That was yeah. a similar. <laughs> yeah. As, as you are still still evolving, still growing, um, how what what's shaping your art now? Like, are, Is there a current thing that you're kind of wrestling with and trying to figure out? How do I give yeah. expression to this? Like, how do I do, how do I do this thing now? I'm trying to do a balance because you know you got to eat, and you also I want to, I want to you know I see a lot of my colleagues and uh, friends who are you know finding the formula to make it to the larger stage, you mm-hmm. know, because all these cats you've heard of, you know, I knew them back in the day. I've you know I I worked with them. Mm-hmm. I you know Amy Sherald and Candy Wiley and you know. Mm-hmm. Tim Okamura, all these cats, you know, yeah. you know, you, 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 it's like when you look at people in the comedy circuit, some mm-hmm. cats, you know, make it here and some here, but they all know each other. Right. They go into a thing. Oh yeah. You know, you, you hang out and you're like, oh yeah, I, you know, mm-hmm. and 
and uh and if you just hang around as an artist in new york you're gonna bump into people yeah and um and so a lot of it is a who you know thing mm -hmm. a lot of it is is a talent and voice um and so i um i'm trying to you know keep my own voice mm -hmm. the way it is the way i, I, I want to be true to my game like mm -hmm. i had to i had the chance to get super elevated yeah and, you know at some point uh you know the royals who you know yeah. had said you know we dig your stuff you know here's some money and we're going to introduce you to this dude you yeah. know in new york so i went up there to you know uh talk to this you know guy named uh waka swajat i always like saying that name. <laughs> and he you know he's supposed to be the kingmaker and yeah. stuff but he wanted to you know change what i was saying mm -hmm. basically take it all away and just just paint the form and just do yeah. you know like i was a another lucian freud or something mm. and i was like i could have wealth and not be me or i could be me and 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 struggle and i guess i chose to struggle yeah. you know um i'm sure i could have just painted like that and and but been known for that and then tried to insert what i'm trying to say and then, oh, we don't hear that we, you know yeah, this yeah. is what you paint from now on yeah and i see how some of my friends are doing it and they're painting the same shit over and over again yeah. and i'm like i don't want to do that and so i want to make it on my own terms mm -hmm. <clears throat> and and so but you know no disparity disparaging aspects to to my benefactors like the royals and stuff because you know they were looking out you yeah. know it's just my dumb ass was like nah <laughs> you know i mean they warned me it's hey you know people who don't do it they don't they don't sometimes they don't make it and i'm like i understand but you know what i guess people are understanding is that those cats are really sticking to their principles because if it was all about money for me mm -hmm. i would do it like what a lot of these quote unquote black artists do and paint what they think everybody wants to see mm -hmm. And then, you know, sell, sell, sell or whatever. But, you know, like Wayne Dyer said, he said, don't die with your music still inside you. And mm -hmm. I want my music to come out, but how I write it, yeah. you know. And so what I'm doing is a balancing act for what I want to express, but also um, to... Uh, to challenge myself in new ways of saying it. Mm -hmm. I have some stuff coming up that's just going to be really interesting and, and and complex. I mean, and sometimes you try to kiss the ass of certain curators that might be able to get you on, but they are people that might only like this kind of style mm -hmm. or something. But I think I can cross over if I have the best, have the, have the certain type of... Uh, of uh, virtuosity mm -hmm. and i think that's what's carried me is that no matter what my message if i painted it well yeah. people you know resonated with it mm -hmm. it's like i'm 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 uh represented sometimes by Paige bond gallery who mm -hmm. doesn't do representation she does really you know she, i'm the only person that paints people mm. that she represents with mm -hmm. and i'm black mm -hmm. and that's a uh, that's a big deal because, you know, 
she does non-objective abject expressionism mm -hmm. you know her christmas wreath is a steel circle you mm. know so, <laughs> <laughs> and so i think it it is a testament to my you know what i'm painting how tight i'm painting yeah. you know um what's your what's your message to this to this city like you like you're here, like you're here. Mm -hmm. You look out, like when we look out right now, like there's nothing happening across the street. Kroger spot, mm -hmm. shout out Kroger spots next door. You got Shut some up. good neighbors, AJ's mm -hmm. around the corner. You know, you got some neighbors, but yeah. this, is, this is a place that has the bad things that have happened in Richmond, we yeah. can see it. Yeah, and I mean, we still have some of the cats here too. And you know, we still got, I mean, we got hood cats here and we got gentrified, mm -hmm. you could tell when it's being gentrified because you know, the white folks will come out with their dogs, you know, mm -hmm. and so, and first it's like, you know, when it's in the early stages, it's two of them with a big dog mm -hmm. or more than one. And then when it gets later on, it's like one of them with one dog and then it's a female one with one dog mm -hmm. and then without a dog. That's when you know it's, you know. <laughs> that's the progression. <laughs> yeah, that's progression. Yeah. And then so... um I've always been in the city. You yeah. know, I, when I was in D.C., I was on 14th and Clifton. I was in the hood. Nobody mm -hmm. messed with me. I walked to, I used to go to Corcoran uh, School of Art for photography. Had expensive camera. Mm -hmm. They could have, you know, jacked me, but they were like, All right. you know, I had, I had a shield of, of protection from the universe. Yeah. And, you know, when I was in, um, you know, living in, in Richmond, I was always in Jackson Ward or something. I was never out. And, mm -hmm. and so... Um, I, I feed off of the energy of the people mm -hmm. as well, but um, I like to be close yeah. to the city. And I also like to give back to the community. I mean, I give the op option. Op I say, hey, you know, if I have a class, you know, y'all can come, come in, in for free. Yeah. Come in. Yeah. You know, but, you know, but I what I'll do is oftentimes I'll, if I'm working on something like on this piece right here, mm -hmm. the father and son piece, I worked on that in the window. Uh, prior to the big exhibition in New York and you know they would come and they would watch me paint and mm -hmm. sometimes they would come in and stuff yeah. you know and watch me paint and finish and stuff that that movement of gentrification interacting with the history of this place um what does that say for for Richmond and like where we're headed like do you do you see is it a hopeful future are we gonna learn from our past mistakes are we gonna are we gonna listen to voices like yours to try to point us towards who we could be? Like, what do you think is the, well, I'm a, the hoping? Are you an optimist for, I'm, for I'm Richmond? The, I'm the quintessential optimist, but also from what I see. Mm -hmm. Now, at first, you know, people like AJ was like complaining that this cat up here was always calling the cops on dudes, which is a different connotation. If you mm -hmm. call the cops on a black man, that could be fatal and stuff. And so. He, instead of saying, hey, stop doing this, you know, talk mm -hmm. to the people and stuff. And I can understand from a standpoint, too, like, I don't want to talk to people, you know, let's pay taxes, you know, have them mm -hmm. deal with it. Um, but uh, he wasn't seeing the humanity in someone, mm -hmm. you know. And so, but, you know, then he got indicted and had his, all his property sold out from under him, <laughs> you know. That'll do it. You know, and so that seemed like a vibrational thing. Mm -hmm. Now. What I'm seeing that's different is that in this area, like for instance, Charlie and Ann Westbrook bought this big building up here that has the pig and brew in it mm -hmm. and the well and mm -hmm. everything. And they are coming from the standpoint of trying to preserve the cultural heritage of it while trying to also understand 
how to create a balance. Mm-hmm. Look towards the past as well and look towards the future. And that's why they have a lot of minority businesses there. They mm-hmm. they come and they purchase artwork here, and I consider them friends. And mm-hmm. they also have a whole street uh, action committee where they're trying to get the people of everybody from Swansboro, Blackwell, wherever, to come and speak to the cops, speak to each other, mm. figure out what they want, you yeah. know, uh, in the community. And I think that is uh, imperative, mm-hmm. you know, and and they, they're they trying to be, you know, they're gung-ho about it. Yeah. You know, they might lose steam, you know, and be like, damn, these people ain't trying to, but they're trying, yeah. you know, and if black people don't, you know, uh, take this olive branch, it's their fault, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so black people have been there, and white people have been there, and we're there, and we're talking in these in these meetings, and mm-hmm. and speaking to the you know the the people, the, the city council women would come by, and we would talk, and we would have you know uh, try to figure out the direction of where we want to go. <clears throat> now what's happening is um, you can see the type of people that are coming in, mm-hmm. like recently, and I don't know how you know. You know, sometimes they come in, you know, in sheep's clothing, wolves. Like I had a couple of people who got property, got, uh, you know, moved down there. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to see what they move next to. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, damn, I ain't know so many niggas around here, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they would come in and you could see them trying to see what's up, you know. And mm-hmm. they, they would talk to me and stuff. And, you know, I'm like, I, you know, I, I could see how Anne and, and them were interested in my work, even though they seem like, because they're, they're you know, they're from D.C. area and mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, and you could feel their, you know, their uh, uh, genuineness. Mm-hmm. But the other cats would come by, sometimes you would be like, you know, you just trying to mm-hmm. scope out the property. you just mm-hmm. trying to, you know, feel your way around and stuff. You know, like right there, you see the brothers walking by, you know. Mm-hmm. These are, you know, straight up, you know, hardcore brothers. And, mm-hmm. and I make sure I speak to them, mm-hmm. even if they don't speak back. Sometimes they do. And I try to place this artwork in the window that I think would give them some pause to say, mm. hey, that's me, mm. you know, because right now all these visions of themselves are disappearing yeah. and their place in the in the world at large is becoming very tenuous. And so when these cats come here, I try to be an ambassador of black goodwill, mm. you know, and, and say, hey, you know, I'm an artist. Look, it's an art studio. What's mm-hmm. up? You know, that. You know, that shouldn't, you know, give you too much pause as far as negative pause. And then, um, you know, like one time I was painting this big giant piece with the bird mm-hmm. in the window. And, you know, I'm used to people knocking and waving. Mm-hmm. Can I take a picture? Yeah, come on. People came in. One time came in, it was a straight up cowboy and his wife. <clears throat> like, like, he did. only thing he didn't have on was chaps and spurs, <laughs> you know. And he was like, oh, God darn, this is great. This is, you know, and I was like. <laughs> Where's my camera? <laughs> <laughs> of all the days not to have a camera. You know? And but he was just really sincere and, yeah. and just visiting, you know. But what happens with Croker Spot is that, you know, cat white folks, whatever. They, that, that's a that's the destination. That's for real. Yeah, destination. And like on Sundays is like a line down the street. Yeah. And I'm here, I'm like, I ain't standing in line over there. Are you crazy? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just it's, it was just really interesting. You know, in a way that I think Croker Spot has become the anchor for what this neighborhood could be. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas people, you know, I mean, the sad truth is there's no black restaurant in Richmond, maybe in America, that could survive without 
black patronage, you know, mm-hmm. unless it has a white partner or uh, the black uh, owner is unknown. And that's hmm. just stark. Yeah. You know, there's a restaurant in Savannah that's black owned that nobody knows is black owned and it has a majority white patronage, you know, hmm. and you know, it's a key, it's a secret. You can't, you know, mm. cause they wouldn't come, yeah. you know, which is telling Yeah, is, you know, it's really fucked up. Yeah. Even Croker spot, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and the uh, consummate restaurateur, I know, you know, informed me of this and I was blind to it. Mm. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. You know, yeah. well, we, we have to, you know, things that are, um, you know, it's the old food, things that are for us and by us. Like mm-hmm. if we, as, as black people don't support them, mm-hmm. then no, they don't have a shot. You know, especially those places that we know are inspired by mm-hmm. and driven by who we are, mm-hmm. who we've been, and the kind of community that we hope to create. Right. Um, I'll ask you one more question. Uh, who, in Richmond, in this dope place that we live in, that you're a part of, what are or who are the black voices that inspire you? Oh, there's so many. We gotta do another hour. <laughs> Just like top three, top three or four. Or oh, maybe top five. Can we do a top? Let's do, do a top five. Right. Top five. Not including present company. <laughs> Appreciate that. Um, uh, Neverett Eggleston is one of the people that have inspired me. Yeah. Just, uh, just uh, um, you know, just a big brother figure that, you know, is just super wise and one of those, you know, Ben Kenobi type characters that mm-hmm. people sleep on, you know. Um, uh, let's see. I mean, Anjali Moon, of course, mm-hmm. is you know known her forever and and helped guide her vision as a elder of hers. But she's you know taking her baton and has run with it. Yeah. And I, one of the people I count on to talk to uh, with for advice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh Shishat, who's also uh um uh goes by so many different other names um mm-hmm. over at the indigo salon um uh is uh you know i knew her back when she was tammy robinson uh, <laughs> you know uh she's someone who inspires me and i talk to frequently mm-hmm. um two more See if people hear this and be like, "Why my name on it?" <laughs> we just, we just, we had to cut it short. We just, we just okay, a few. It's, okay. It's a sample. Uh, um, uh, let me think. In Richmond, because um, mm-hmm. you know my my thing goes broad and around. Right. Um, uh, Muzi, P. Muzi Branch mm-hmm. definitely um, <clears throat> helped guide me. A nice guiding force and uh, a font of knowledge. And as a team, Oliver and Renee Hill, and also mm. his father, when he was alive, Oliver Hill Sr., were mm-hmm. instrumental. I mean, I can't even say enough, you mm. know, besides my family and stuff, but mm-hmm. they're also my family. They, you know, they have, you know, without them, I wouldn't be here yeah. at all. They're, they're the people who sing happy birthday to me every year, and mm. they're the people who've supported me and given me wisdom and some of the smartest, kindest, most spiritually centered people I've ever met in this yeah. planet, you know, and, and a host of other characters like Monroe uh, Harris and Alex Narges and, 
and all these professionals mm -hmm. out there, Dennis Winston, my fellow artists, and DL, and mm -hmm. and everything. You know, it's just a, a constant <clears throat> uh, bombardment of of influence. You know, free. You know, Agunfumi. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of good souls, that, and it's weird because we have in Richmond, you know, and striations in the black community. We have the black bourgeoisie. Mm -hmm. We have the woke uh, aspect of Richmond. Mm -hmm. We have the you know the working class come up, and then we got the the downtrodden and the and thug, mm -hmm. and oftentimes they never interact yeah like which surprised me you know i interact with all of them mm -hmm. you know but what surprised me is that the disconnect between the bourgeoisie and the woke mm -hmm. and i was like how is that a distant you know the only difference is you know mainly mainly is 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 fiscal but mm -hmm. you know y'all oftentimes want the same thing yeah. but y'all don't know each other mm -hmm. you know i'm like how do you not know Ron Bagat and you know how do you not know this person you don't yeah. how do you don't know people yeah. you know and and I just happen to know them because of you know who pop is and stuff but yeah I just found that really disquieting you know that you know there's few bridges there mm -hmm. there are some but you know I, I I guess I would consider myself in the woke artsy camp mm-hmm Although, you know, I flip between worlds yeah. uh, frequently and with ease, but um, well, uh, your your ability to be, I think, your word is appropriate. Ambassador for us is <laughs> is is spot on and appropriate. Uh, one of my joys is when I walk upstairs and I see <laughs> those two pieces from you. There's two things. Now, wait, I, wait, wait. Which one? You, I know you have quintessential funk LP, but what's the other one? You um, it's the same. It's the same series. It's another one. Is it a profile? You know, the side yeah. view. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. That's, yeah. 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 Um, that's right. And I, you know, when folks come to the place, I say, well, "Let me tell you about the art that's here." Mm -hmm. um, but I tell people I have art from my friends. There you go. And in yours in particular, they're they're not just beautiful. Because they are, and they're not just beautiful. I appreciate it. But they show a beauty in blackness, mm -hmm. and my daughter gets to see it. Yeah. And I think that's... You know, and I brought yeah. her here. Like, yeah. you see my yeah. daughter, and she's come here. But there's something about, and you said this, like, I'm looking around the studio, and I see this black man, I see this black woman, mm -hmm. and, the, and the beauty you've captured. This is who we are. Right. But so much of what's around us, we forget right. just how beautiful we really are. Yeah. And what we're capable of. And so you you help us with these wonderful, beautiful images. You help remind us of who we are. And what we could be. And what we could be. And what we have been. Yeah. Um, a, a recent post I did of a drawing I just sold was is called uh, Past Participle and Future Perfect, which basically speaks to um, what has been done in the past mm -hmm. and what we can do in the future because that encompasses everything a past participle could be anything mm -hmm. that's actionable verb and future perfect could be anything that happened and so whatever you can think of you can apply to us so we know that we have no limits in our uh in 
attached to our continents yeah. you know and so yeah i can dig that and i appreciate that 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 uh you know because that's what means the most to me when your daughter can see herself mm-hmm. in something and it's not uh cliche yeah yeah in a way that's yeah. negative you know yeah. and rife with the stereotypes that uh the media and world at large has come to accept. That's right. You know, man. Uh, thank you. Of course. I appreciate my, my absolute pleasure. I, I will say this is the, the most beautiful setup I've ever had. For the podcast. <laughs> so, uh, I might have, I might have to bring a guest back over here. Oh, just- <laughs> any, look, any time. And, and I think it'd be groovy if you bring him over here, you know, we could, you know, set up a camera and, and film a few and stuff. And so, yeah, like groovy. Ross is like, is this, is this video? We do it. I mean, video? man, it's a one man show. You bringing out <laughs> equipment and look like gimbals and, you know, all this stuff, yeah, I'm yeah. like, well, you got a Panaflex coming you know, in here? The, 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 uh, the 40 Lessons podcast has not yet achieved the level where we're going to have video. We, we might get there. Yeah. You know, I think we it, might get there. I think it. It. <laughs> but, I think man, appreciate it. I, this, is, this has been dope, man. Thank you. It's my absolute it. pleasure, and I'm honored to even be considered. Yeah, this is good. Thanks, sir. It's my pleasure. Thanks again to S. Ross Brown for jumping on the podcast. If you want to learn more about him, what he's doing, go hang out with him. Go buy some of his art so you too can have it in your home. Go to his website, S. Ross Brown, S-R-O-S-S-B-R-O-W-N-E.com. Go visit the website. Go visit him and check out what he's doing down there in Hull Street. That's cool. Each episode, we highlight some nonprofit, some organization, some event that is in our community that is tied to some really great mission. And today, it is the Black History Museum and Cultural Center of Virginia. Brand new exhibit opened up this month. It's called The Paradox of Liberty, Slavery at Jefferson's Monticello. It gives voice to the many enslaved families who built and maintained Monticello, highlights the stories of six families who, along with others, lived in slavery at Jefferson's home and plantation for generations. I got a chance to see it this month. It is spectacular. I got to go back so I can spend some more time with it. If you want to go, and you should go, go to blackhistorymuseum.org. Go learn more about the museum, how you can become a member and support their really important mission, but also to go see the times and availability for this brand new exhibition, The Paradox of Liberty, Slavery at Jefferson's Monticello. Go see it. It's good. Listen, as always, as always, as always, I really hope that you are taking care of yourself. And let's make sure that we are taking care of each other. We'll be back next week. Another episode of the 40 Lessons Podcast. Talk to you then.